Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Today's podcast comes live from Budapest, Hungary. Actually, it was recorded live, but you don't really record dead things. Folta had an opportunity to sit down with Dr. Jack Horner, who you may recognize as a scientific advisor to the movie Jurassic Park. Here, Dr. Horner speaks of should we bring dinosaurs back using DNA technologies? Or do they already walk amongst us? That's today's Talking Biotech Podcast. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things we can do for people and the planet. My name's Kevin Fulda. I'm a professor at the University of Florida. And today we're going to talk about de-extinction and the use of biotechnology tools to potentially learn more about the, I guess, anatomy and physiology of organisms that have long left the planet. And I have the pleasure of sitting with Dr. Jack Horner. He's a professor emeritus from Montana State University, currently teaching at Chapman University in Orange, California. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So I guess the first real question is, you know, first thing people worry about is Jurassic Park, you know, that kind of thing. So how, how, how realistic is the idea of de-extinction, and are we really looking at, right now, specific traits, or, or where are we right now in the process? Well, it, you know, it depends on, you know, de- de-extinction is uh, probably likely to happen with some more modern animals. When it comes to dinosaurs, we're we're really just talking about trying to bring back some traits that that non-avian dinosaurs had that avian dinosaurs no longer have. So, I you know we can already do that. We can we can we we have you know different groups uh, around the world have have figured out ways to alter birds enough so that they kind of have a trait similar to a non-avian dinosaur and um, our dino chicken project that we started in 2012 is basically trying to cull all of that and look at you know see if we can we can actually create a bird or or something bird-like animal right Um, that that has all of the characteristics that we can that we have the capability of altering and see if we can make something that looks kind of like a dinosaur. So is most of this being done with gene editing tools at this point? Well, so far, uh, we've been looking for atavistic genes, so uh, ancestral genes that have been turned off during the course of evolution. Um, and I think we've, we've pretty much found all of them that we're going to find. Um, now we're at a point where if we really want to make a dinosaur-like animal, 
we're going to have to do a little bit of transgenic engineering. So we're going to have to to add some things that we the tail. We're having a trouble. We're having real trouble with the tail. We we can make we can we can transform back. We can take a bird and give it arms and hands where it had wings. Um, you know, we can we can alter the shape of the head. There's a lot of things we can do, but so far we haven't figured out how to make a tail. <laughs> and so uh, that's where we're stuck right now. So <laughs> that's going that is going to probably require some CRISPR. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the uh, giving birds hands and arms is probably going to really not work very well with the chicken wing industry. You know, there. The, yeah, there is that. That's a <laughs> that's something to think about. I should. I, don't, I probably shouldn't advertise that. No, you'll, you'll have many... Well, th- yeah, then again, you'll never be accused of being a shill for <laughs> Colonel Sanders, right? That's I mean, right. That's, uh, so the, the thing is, when you say that there are these atavistic genes, you say they've been turned off during evolution, but how do you know? So do you have a reference? What's the best reference for what dinosaur DNA was? Well, uh, atavistic genes are, are actually the genes that accidentally get turned on once in a while, so... So every once in a while, snakes are born with are are born with legs. Um, uh, you know, children are occasionally born with a few extra vertebrae in their tail. So uh, those are atavistic genes, and so we are looking for those kinds of genes in birds, so we can try to turn them back on. And like I say, I I think we have found most of what we're going going to find and the rest of them are not atavistic the, the tail is not an atavistic gene so it's going to require some more sophisticated um, methods and CRISPR-Cas9 is probably what we're going to have to use so if you look at um, the natural variation that occurs across avian species, do any of them still maintain hints of these types of um, uh, lost traits? Uh, yeah, there's a, there is a, a bird that, a seriana, it's called, it has claws on its, on its um, hands that, you know, are basically winged. Um, but you know we can't really do experiments on them because because first off they're hard to get a hold of um, and all birds are related so so it's just easier to use a chicken yeah so you lost something in a common ancestor in other words yes. that you just don't see and so what what is really the next trait that well other than tails what are some of the other traits that you're trying to understand in birds and is there really even any kind of commercial potential application or are these are these strictly just for the the joy of understanding how genes are working in shaping the dinosaur avian connection um yeah i you know it's these this is a research project and the idea really is to use the dino chicken project as a as a way to to really try to you know bring back these traits um but in so doing, you know, there's so many spin-off things. I mean, we, you know, just in trying to figure out how the tail works, uh, looking at the evolution from non-avian dinosaurs to birds when they lost the tail, just by fig- just trying to figure out how that course of evolution occurred, we've 
we think we've discovered, you know, what what causes a disease called ankylosing spondylitis in humans. I mean, huh. so the spin-off from these things is, you know, it's just it's kind of a fun way to do exciting science. All all of it is exciting, but but you know, there's always the potential of discovering something you would never have ever guessed that you could. No, that, that's what is really cool about this. What about more contemporary um, extinct animals, things like mammoths and stuff? You occasionally would hear of people trying to obtain DNA sequence or be able to potentially de-extinct a uh, mammoth by using merger with elephant eggs, things like that. Yeah, George Church at uh, Harvard is working on that, and theoretically he's going to, I, I suspect that he will. I mean, I have no... No doubt that he he will figure that out. Uh, there are people also working on trying to bring back the the uh, passenger pigeon and and some other you know the Tasmanian wolf. Um, you know I I don't I can't imagine that there's I mean obviously they're all difficult to do because you have you have to have you know as much DNA as you can get and. You know, even even though there's DNA from frozen elephants, it's still not complete, and so it has to be added to something else. And you know, a modern elephant is the obvious candidate, but um, and I don't know what the problems. I don't know what he's run into. I mean, why we don't have a mammoth elephant? I don't. I don't get that. But but because it seems like it would be relatively straightforward the, the, the interesting thing is and I, and I hope that we kind of run into that here um, the interesting thing is is that most people are really interested in the idea of bringing back things and then when they start realizing what is what's necessary then they are then sometimes you run into a lot of skepticism and and it makes a great argument it makes a, it makes a good discussion point. And one of the things that I always bring up that, you know, people oftentimes forget is that we alter, we alter, we create GMOs all the time, right? Um, basically every dog species, is dog variety is a genetically modified wolf, right? So, so and, and you consider, you know, some of those versions of a wolf, I mean... They're, just, they're absurd. I mean, so if we can make a chihuahua out of a wolf, I can't think of any reason why we shouldn't be trying to make, you know, a dino chicken or, or bring back a woolly mammoth. I mean, I, I don't see the problem. No, I think it's brilliant ideas because this is how we can learn more about evolution by uh, seeing how these characters behave in real time and in concert with other real traits and behaviors because we can't see behavior from a fossil record. And what are some of the, you know, the other things that we can learn from this? I, I, and I've, I've learned so much about paleontology. My old professor in a, at paleontology class I took worked on alligator gait, like how alligators mm-hmm. walked and was able to see, infer so much about their bone structures and how things articulated by studying footprints. Mm-hmm. And so being able to look at DNA fingerprints, you know, how much more can we learn rather than just sequence? Mm-hmm. But, but what about, um, what is the best dinosaur sequence they have right now from, I mean, do they actually have DNA that is intact and giving us some sort of reference in a prototypical dinosaur? No. <laughs> we have none. 
All right. So, so the idea of pulling it out of hand. That's why we have to. That's really why we have to. We have to use birds. Okay. Birds I, are their closest. You know, birds are their descendants. Mm -hmm. They're the closest living organism to a dinosaur. So, so we tried for years to get DNA out of a dinosaur, out of amber, out of all all sorts of places, and it was never found. Yeah. So, you know. Michael Crichton had a fantastic idea, but unfortunately, didn't work. Well, the original book had a DNA sequence in the text, mm -hmm. and that was right when I was starting grad school, and when we would be able to do blast searches on a computer disk, mm -hmm. and you could compare it to existing sequences, and I remember putting it through and being profoundly disappointed. Do you know what it is? No. So it was PBR322. One of the first vectors that was used in genetic engineering. A lazy choice. <laughs> well, where, where does the future of the project go now? Well, we're, we're still, you know, funding is, is always a difficult thing. You know, this, these are kind of projects that you can't really go get a NSF grant for. So it's all private funding. And so, you know, right now I'm in a fundraising mode <laughs> to try to... We're, we need to we need to do some CRISPR Cas9 experiments, and, and that's basically we'll see how they go. But see, this is I think it's a brilliant investment. I think the right entrepreneurial mind would see Dino Chicken and using and using gen, gene editing to get there, mm -hmm. which shouldn't be a big deal in terms of uh, approval. This is kind of a slick idea for you know new food items, and you could have like your Flintstones, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and so and, and but it is really interesting because I, I do keep chickens, and they are so much like dinosaurs, like what you would think of dinosaurs. And when you look at their legs and the the scales and the feet, and what so what is really the next big trait um, outside of tails? You know, what are some other real cool traits that may be good targets? Well, actually, the the tail is really all that's left. I mean, it really, you know, we we have to figure out some things with the teeth. Uh, we we actually can initiate the growth of teeth in yeah. a bird, but it it's lethal, unfortunately. And so we have to figure out why, and see if we can stop that from killing the embryo. <laughs> but but other than that, I mean, really, the tail is the biggest thing because you know, no matter how many alterations we make in a bird. Um, it still looks like a bird if it doesn't have a long bony tail like a non-avian dinosaur. So. I guess that's true. But what about the feathers? I mean, is there what is the genetics behind that? Where did they come from? Are they really just derived scales? Uh, they are derived scales, and and dinosaurs, all the meat-eating dinosaurs, theropods had feathers. So the last thing we want to do is get rid of them. Oh, okay. Yeah, we want we want them to have, we want this this animal to have feathers. So, so all of the uh, old school books and uh, Godzilla and all that, and it did not, you know, Flintstones, not not real. <laughs> Especially the not Flintstones. <laughs> but, and you know, one of the things that I have the hardest time with is getting people to realize that the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park are really wrong. I mean, they're, you know, totally wrong. It's just not the way T. Rex looked, and it's not the way. Uh, velociraptors look. I mean, it's they're just so wrong that 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 it you know we re it requires a huge paradigm shift to get you know kids and adults to th realize that that dinosaurs were actually more bird-like than reptile-like. 
And, you know, the idea, the potential idea of a feathered pink Tyrannosaurus Rex just doesn't go very far. <laughs> no, it's like a big flamingo. <laughs> so if you're, so where, where can we find accurate depictions? Is there a place online or maybe a book someone's written where they've actually done this correctly? No, no, there's, we're, I'm working on one right now, but, and, and I'm even having a hard time getting the artist to think differently. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is so ingrained into people that, that dinosaurs have to look, you know, like a lizard, a big giant lizard, <clears throat> that, that trying to make them bird-like is really, really difficult to do. Yeah. They, you know, my artist just fights it all the time. And I said, you know, you're working for me. I want it made this certain way. And they're like, I yeah. can't do it. <laughs> well, well, yes, start with a bird and go backwards that's, rather than that's start what with I, a, exactly what I tried to do. Yeah. So rather but, than start with a lizard and go forward, right? Yeah. But yeah. you know, the artists are all like, well, you know, I I have my name on it. It's you know, it sounds a little wild, you know. Yeah. Everybody's conser- very conservative. Yeah, which is, you know, exactly the opposite theme of what this event is. We're at Brain Bar in Budapest, exactly. Hungary, where we really are looking at these kind of paradigm-shifting ideas that are present in biology and, and, and technology. Well, uh, Dr. Jack Horner, thank you so much for your time and for spending a few minutes with us to talk about uh, what really is innovation, and, and I'm excited to see what comes from the future of this. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Write a review on iTunes, and please share it with a friend. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to TalkingBiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's Electronic Lab Notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.